we have a lot of folks at the table now at this health plan table. I think the role of physicians at that table is increasingly important because we're the ones involved in care delivery. We're the ones who are making operational decisions. We're the ones who are seeing those patients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are joined by Dr. Ainsley McLean. Dr. McLean is Chief Medical Information Officer at the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group of Kaiser Permanente. She is also Associate Medical Director for Diagnostic and Interventional Radiology, having previously served as Regional Medical Director for the past eight years. She is a board-certified diagnostic radiologist and neuroradiologist who trained at Harvard Medical School's Brigham and Women's Hospital, and is a tireless advocate for patient-centered care and for tools and processes that improve the physician workflow and experience and minimize burnout. I'm personally super excited to have uh, Dr. McLean on the podcast because I think she has really had an amazing career both as a clinician and now is a forward-thinking technologist in how we can embrace technology and bring technology into the future, both in her existing practice and also abroad. So I'm really excited to hear about your career and and a little bit about your vision for the future. So thank you, Dr. McLean, for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So tell me a little bit about your background. How'd you get into medicine? What ultimately drew you to neuroradiology? So I have an interesting sort of background. I always joke that now being a technology leader, I was never that person that when the slide projector was broken, it'd be like, where's Ainsley? Um, I was never sort of that techie person. In fact, I majored in the visual arts at Brown University as an undergrad, in addition to being pre-medical. And I was drawn to radiology through a summer um, research opportunity I did at UCSF. Um, in musculoskeletal imaging um, with Dr. Harry Janan, who's one of the fathers of MSK imaging. And just that, I think, appreciation for anatomy and art and the love of the human body was what brought me into it initially. And I found over time that that combined with technology was sort of the perfect ingredient for a very rewarding um, and satisfactory career. Amazing. And so in today's podcast, I want to hit on a few things. I want to hear a little bit more about Kaiser. I think the Kaiser model is pretty unique. We haven't had anyone on from, you know, this type of practice model. So dig in a little bit to what's unique about the Kaiser model. What drew you there? Um, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the specifics of your of your current role. So okay. tell us a little bit about um, MapMG. What is unique about Kaiser and what drew you to the practice? Absolutely. So Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group um, is the largest multi-specialty physician group on the East Coast. And we are the exclusive providers of the 850,000 patients of Kaiser Permanente in the Mid-Atlantic region. And so our model, as you alluded to, is very unique. So our radiologists and all our physicians are salaried. Therefore, there is no incentive to do more. And so when I was looking, I knew I wanted to be sort of in the Washington, D.C. area after I trained in the Boston area. And I felt like I could go either way. I could go towards academics. Um, I love teaching. I loved research. I could go to private practice. I love just the practice of radiology. And so Kaiser Permanente is sort of somewhere in between where we have a lot of opportunities actually for teaching. We have residency programs in internal medicine and other really education-focused initiatives within the department, but also at the end of the day, we're here to provide patient care. And so when you look at the main 
difference of our doctors or what we pride ourselves in within Kaiser Permanente. It's that the patient is at the center of every decision that we make. And because we have this salaried model in which there's no incentive to do more, just to do more, we always focus on outcomes and objective quality metrics. Uh, so I'll give you the example, just like of our screening mammography program. Um, we screen more patients within Kaiser Permanente Mid-Atlantic States for breast cancer than just about every other healthcare system in the United States. And therefore our patients live longer um, and have improved mortality from breast cancer compared to just about every other healthcare system. And when you look at objective quality metrics, KP Mid-Atlantic States leads in so many. And we're really, our doctors are really focused on working together to give those objective quality outcomes. I'll give you one that's always like the cocktail party shocker, but our patients live six years longer than the nation's average. So when you're talking to a 22 year old, you know, you wouldn't think six years makes a difference, but that's the one that really gets people because look at how much we focus, right? On what we can do to exercise, um, wellness and all this stuff. So if you are in a really good integrated healthcare system that can help you live longer, healthier lives, it's sort of win-win. That's a crazy stat and I've, I've not heard that before. So I want to dig into it a little bit. Tell me a little bit more. So you, you bring up breast mammography. If I understood you correctly, part of the impact that you're having is that you actually reach more patients of your population. You're having higher screening adherence rates. Is that, did I understand that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one part of it. And when you look at what's positioned us for success in something like this, it's really focusing on a large population. I mentioned, you know, 850,000 patients, close to a million patients. And every single one of our patients is essentially receives uh, the same benefit of fantastic care in a physician-led practice. So ultimately, though, it's the technology and the foundational system that leads to these streamlined approaches. So I'll give you the example of screening mammography once again. If, for instance, as a Kaiser Permanente patient, you go in and you see your ophthalmologist, you see your cardiologist, they log into our electronic medical record, which is one of the largest integrated electronic medical records you know, in the country. And what they'll get is basically a little prompt that says, did you know that this patient hasn't had a screening mammogram? Now, how many places hmm. in the community do ophthalmologists even think about screening mammograms, right? So then they're prompted and then we make the system so easy that essentially they can then just in one moment say to a patient, hey, did you get your screening mammogram? Why don't you um, set up an appointment you know, through our patient portal? We have um, a really coordinated um, quality program where our patients get a little um, reminder that they need to have a mammogram and we make it easy for them to get appointments. Then when they go in to actually have their mammogram, um, our radiologists result those mammograms 90% of the time within 30 to 60 minutes. Hmm. So um, women are leaving their appointments, getting into their car to go pick up their kids, go back to work, whatever it is you know, in the back of their head, worrying a little bit about what that result's going to be for about 30 to 60 minutes. Um, yeah. And then you get a ding. And so these are things that when you have this robust electronic medical record, incredible focus on advanced integrated technology that you can support doctors to do the right thing. The other example in that realm, though, it's not just the screening mammograms, because there's a whole lot more, right? That's the most important factor in improving mortality from breast cancer, but it's also all the downstream effects. So if you have an abnormal mammogram, our breast checkers reach out to you to get you in for the biopsy, and then you get your pathology results the next day, then you're plugged in with the surgeon. And so, you know, there's a lot of centers that are providing excellent care 
across this country. Um, a lot of radiologists listening may be breast imagers who are providing amazing care. I think what's unique about Kaiser Permanente within the mid-Atlantic states is we're doing this really on a population basis. So over 500 screening mammograms a day um, with that same objective kind of quality and emphasis on service. Yeah, really interesting. You mentioned part of what makes your model different is the lack of productivity incentives. So you said, you know, people don't have a reason to push you to do more, meaning I assume by that follow-up imaging procedures that might be unnecessary, what have you. Talk a little bit about both, I guess, A, like what's the data that that supports if there is any around how the lack of productivity incentive actually impact, like is it, is it cost less um, at a population level because of this? Like, do you see that? And then maybe two, in this world where everyone is feeling pressure to do more, is there a downstream effect that's maybe negative where people are working harder, but not getting paid more because of the rising volumes? No, I think that's a great question, Daniel. And without going into too many details, even though we're salaried physicians, we do have built-in systems within our radiology group and our radiology leadership has done a great job with this because we do feel that it is important to incentivize our radiologists to do more and everyone likes to be rewarded, right, for doing a little bit more. And so when you look at that concept of, you know, looking back, you know, 70 years to the beginning of, of Kaiser Permanente and how it all started, you know, it's really around thinking about when you're prepaid and you have as a medical group prepayment for services, you're going to do your best to achieve objectively a positive outcome that is in the best interest of that patient. And so if you look at how incentives are in, in sort of fee-for-service, even around, say, something like surgery, you know, some of our incentives, I think, objectively, we can all say are maybe not, you know, positioning us for focusing on patient outcomes. Now, I think as a society, we're moving more towards value-based care, right? Like that is the buzzword of 2023. And so I think everyone's looking to capture sort of this concept behind a Kaiser Permanente um, and to do it successfully. I think one of the key ingredients, though, is physician leadership of our model of care. So having physicians who are guiding the care and guiding the recommendations around how we make decisions for our patients. And when you look across the country at a lot of the major consolidation that's happening with large insurance companies, I don't know what you call some companies that are now, there are so many different spaces, I don't even know what you call them, <laughs> but you know, consuming physician groups, right? And we have a lot of folks at the table now at this health plan table. I think the role of physicians at that table is increasingly important because we're the ones involved in care delivery. We're the ones who are making operational decisions. We're the ones who are, you know, seeing those patients. And that's something within Permanente Medicine um, is just at our center and our core is just that role of the physician. And we really pride ourselves in that. And you'll see within our medical group, a tremendous amount of emphasis on physician leadership development so what are those skills? We know in medical school, right? You're not taught the business skills. You're not taught how do I manage people? Um, and so ingrained for our physician leaders within MAPMG is a lot of coursework and leadership development programs on how do you be an effective physician leader? How do you make decisions? And that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I try to also relay to our um, chiefs as they're making decisions um, and playing a role in, for instance, technology investment. Building off that point, I think you've definitely taken that to the next level with your most recent role. So you've taken on a leadership role within the hospital, within the system called CMIO. 
talk a little bit about like what does that mean and if i understand correctly you have a broader purview than just radiology now and so what has that evolution been like for you uh, no that's such a great question daniel because um so the role of the cmio is really around being the chief physician accountable for the electronic medical record um and everything related to it that's the traditional definition of a cmio and what i think we've seen with the emergence of technology playing this and we saw, I think COVID really was transformative. COVID and AI is just the increasing importance of the digital front door as essentially an extension of care delivery. And so the CMIO role has now had to you know, morph into the CMIO role, the chief AI role, the chief digital officer role. And so it really comes back to something that's been sort of the ethos of my leadership, which is just a team-based mentality. So I have the really the opportunity to oversee an incredible team of um, engineers, systems analysts, nurses, and physicians who are highly trained within the, in our case, EPIC electronic medical record. And they work together with our physicians and our frontline physicians within Kaiser Permanente to really build out tools that can help them make the care they provide better, but also to make their daily life better. And as a radiologist, you know, I spend my time behind a screen reading images, but I think we all know that primary care physicians in this country are just so overburdened with electronic paperwork. Um, so I think that a lot of the recent GPT tools that are coming out and are being embedded within Epic as technology leaders, we really owe it to our frontline providers to help develop those tools as fast as we can and to help essentially make the practice of medicine joyful again. I'm not saying that it's not, but there's a lot of things that really prevent, I think, physicians from getting the most joy out of their practice. And I feel really strongly that AI is going to bring things back to even better than they've ever been. Because we all know, even before the electronic medical record, right, doctors were staying in their office charting on, you know, paper. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about what the future holds. You talk a little bit about AI and reducing the workload for all physicians, not just radiologists. What are some of the other major initiatives on your plate as CMIO? And I think something that you said that I, I was just totally struck by, I never thought so narrowly about the EMR before, meaning when I think about the tech stack, especially with the amount of digital health services that people are using, I mean, just take radiology as an example, PACS, work list, voice recognition, now all the AI tools, and that's just one specialty area. So, and then if you think about patient, remote patient monitoring, what's coming there, other types of digital health tools, you know, whether it be at home type of physical therapy thing. So there's so much more in digital health than just the EMR. And as part of your job is to figure out how these things come together in an easy to coordinate way. I mean, that's a pretty complicated task, but what are some of the other things that you think about? And does everything kind of have to pass through the EMR in order to work in, in a big hospital system? So first of all, so many things you touched on are in our digital strategy map and you're spot on. There's all sorts of components to where digital technologies impact patients. And I further sort of, so you mentioned remote monitoring. I would say I would put an EMR in sort of that care delivery portion of our digital strategy map, along with patient triage tools. And you're seeing mm -hmm. a lot of AI in that space as well. And then I put imaging um, in a big bucket on its own because it's incredibly important. 
And as radiologists, we tend to see things as, you know, just radiology, but within Kaiser Permanente, when we look at our enterprise imaging strategies, we're looking across pathology, cardiology, yeah. ophthalmology. So all of these, um, what I would call imaging centric specialties are going to be positively impacted by AI. I think one of my big roles has also been trying to be a voice of reason and reassurance and focus in the setting of a lot of noise. Noise is a little bit of a negative word. I view it as just, I think it's great. I mean, the, the more people and the more bright minds we have working to help make our patients better, I think is fantastic. But we need a strategy and really a focus in that area. So I kind of break down AI into certain buckets and then think about how do different products fit into those different buckets. But you're spot on, Daniel, because at the end of the day, any product leader or company who comes and talks with me and my team, one of the first things I'm thinking and our doctors are asking is how can we integrate that into our electronic medical record? How can we integrate that into our patient portal? And likewise with radiology, because I know this is a radiology podcast, you know, one of the things we're looking at is as a marketplace, who's going to be bringing us what we need from AI and who can integrate with our packs? But I think this is a space that there's room currently, even though we've seen increasing consolidation among vendors, there's definitely room for a lot of voices and a lot of strategy and a lot of great minds in this space. So I'm really excited about where we are right now, the amount of voices in the room and, you know, the conversation's getting loud, but at the end of the day, it's going to be, I think, really good for our radiologists and for our other physicians and our patients, most importantly. What's your optimizing function, you know, as you try and make decisions? Is it cost reduction? Is it life extension? Is it patient impact on some sort of quality metric? I assume it's all of those things. Maybe it's revenue growth, but like, how do you balance and what framework do you make in terms of trying to make decisions as a, as a hospital leadership team? Another great question. There's a few components for me. One of the things I have found I am drawn to is companies that have really solid physician leadership. Um, it doesn't have to be the CEO or the co-founder, but if it's a CMO, um, whoever it is, someone advising them or at least surrounding themselves by someone who has the best interest of whatever the specialty is. And I think that's just really important. And I think we know, you know, 90% of AI projects fail because you don't have the right people around the table. And so one of the reasons I founded our Permanente Medicine AI Center of Excellence is because, you know, as physician AI champions, as data scientists, as engineers, um, as finance leaders, we have to get around the table and stay focused on what our outcome is. The number one driver for me right now, always there has to be some sort of underlying return on investment, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to demonstrate that. And I think that has been a limitation of some of the AI products and seeing widespread adoption within healthcare. Um, there's a lot of costs in healthcare. And so people are thinking about, well, how is this going to help my bottom line? I think that I've noticed in the last even nine to 12 months, a big transformation in companies coming to the table to help demonstrate that ROI. Um, and I think that's going to be key because I think they recognize that. But for me, ultimately, I think the physician burnout piece is the most important when I'm looking at a good product. Because if you look at who do we need to, who do we need to invest in, right? For the future, we need radiologists for years and years to come. And I've sat in many rooms over the years <laughs> where I've been told, you know, um, I always remember in, in 26, I think it was 2016, 
you know, being in a room in which, you know, all the radiologists were asked to stand up and, and other colleagues were asked to say bye to them because they wouldn't be here for much longer. <laughs> this is a pretty esteemed speaker. I won't mention who it was. And then kind of seeing this massive shift in which, you know, maybe our jobs aren't so easy to do, given we make thousands of decisions a day, to seeing us leading in this space. I'm so proud of so many radiologist colleagues who really led in this space. And I think that's going to be incredibly crucial when you look at the specialties with the most mature publications in them. It's radiology, pathology, followed by ophthalmology, and then GI and cardiology. So really the imaging specialties are leading within AI. So, you know, I think that's going to be just really important that we stay focused on that. But for me, and, you know, without mentioning product names, our first sort of venture into AI was in a product um, within the dictation space. Mm -hmm. And that for us was just a no brainer, because if I can make a very busy radiologist feel like they're on with as one of our radiologists, informaticists described sort of on with a resident. So like a resident is helping me generate my impression and then I can sign off on that. That's just a win, win, win. But at the end of the day, as I've hosted a bunch of these talks with various AI leaders, one of the things that's become clear to me is that the physician is not going anywhere. And the physician is at the center of everything AI. And really the more successful products now are iterating with the input of experts. So it's AI, expert review and input, AI, expert review and input. So, you know, will that be the case always? I don't know. But, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, we have to help our physicians get better. And if our physicians feel better and are happier and want to be physicians, I think we have the highest number of um, medical students apply to med school this year is what I've heard. Then, you know, the patients win. We've talked to a lot of people on this podcast in particular. We've highlighted a lot of people who have done this type of thing, meaning they've taken their expertise in radiology and then applied it, whether it be to a company or their practice in some leadership role. And so I think that way of getting involved in industry is actually really important and can often be maybe frowned upon or people don't feel like they have enough time or support. Sounds like you've been really diving headfirst into this and really encouraging your team to get involved, certainly leading by example, both in your current role as well as you're sort of a vocal advocate sitting on the Forbes Technology Council. How do you encourage radiologists to get involved in these types of things? Yeah. So I think it became pretty clear to me when I stepped into this role, how outward facing I had to be. And that's been really a focus mission for me, as you alluded to. So oftentimes I'll have a meeting about AI and literally if it's a week later, the agenda has to be completely updated because of some new breakthrough in AI. So I think at the end of the day, you know, we have to look at companies. We have to all be together in this. Um, you know, we had a guest speaker from Europe and looking at how does the EU handling things. And, you know, I think a lot of times as doctors, we can become very siloed in our world. And like, it's because we're busy and, you know, we have busy clinical shifts, whatever it may be. But this time right now, the changing landscape within healthcare, um, it will pass us by. Uh, if we're doing the same thing, you know, tomorrow that we're doing today, we're already way behind. And I'm not saying you have to iterate at that level of speed, but that's the speed at which ChatGPT is, is iterating. Yeah. So, you know, like in some ways you kind of do. In terms of what I would recommend, there are a few things. Like I think in terms of technology, not being intimidated by it is key. And so, for instance, we encourage within Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group board certification within AI 
through the American Board of Artificial Intelligence and Medicine. It's a really kind of short course. Mm. Obviously, there's much more in-depth courses you can do, but we encourage physician championship in AI across all specialties. Um, and so we have close to 15 physicians who are board certified by the American Board of Artificial Intelligence and Medicine. And there are several esteemed radiologists who sit on that advisory board as well as myself. And so, you know, I think that at the end of the day, that's going to be the future. And, you know, just looking at, if you look at undergraduates right now and what they're learning, their course load didn't exist when, when I was in college. They're learning deep learning. I have this a great um, AI intern this summer and, you know, he was telling me about his course loads. They're diving into chatbots. They're talking about bias. And so this next generation of leaders is going to like literally run by us if we're not as entrenched leaders, forward thinking and embracing them. I think point of care ultrasounds is another area in which I found that our model of care kind of has allowed me to support something which traditionally within radiology is not supported broadly within the community. And one of the things about our doctors within Mid-Atlantic is we don't fight over things. I always joke like our interventional radiology regional medical director is fantastic. And when he was first growing our IR program, one of the things that came up was sort of thyroid biopsies. And, you know, it's like certain things that you maybe in the community may or may not want to do. We do what's best for the patients at the end of the day. So they're doing, you know, uterine fibroid embolizations in the outpatient setting and this incredible stuff. But we're not fighting over who gets to do this for the reimbursement, which is sort of interesting, right? And so we really kind of work together and collaborate. So with point of care ultrasound, that's another great example. If we have, as long as they're not generating more ultrasounds, which studies have shown it actually doesn't, this is win-win, especially if you're looking at the resource utilization of sonographers, radiologists, like there's staffing shortages everywhere. And if I'm, as I'm co-lead this program with some of our great internal medicine physicians, you know, they're going to their courses and the majority of the course is point of care ultrasound because in a lot of our country, they don't have access to ultrasound right now. So they're taking yeah. it upon themselves. So it's in our interest then to train them to help train themselves and to do a good job so that um, we're all in this together. So that's just another example, I think, of, a, of another technology where I'd rather have a radiologist at the table helping people do a good job. So, you know, kudos to all of the people who've been on your show who are innovating, are starting their own company. I think radiology as a consulting specialty really sets us up well for that. Um, we're kind of natural consultants. And I think that we tend to be fairly business savvy. All of these skills really position you for, you know, just about every industry. Yeah. I mean, as I talk to people, I think what you said earlier about the noise being a good thing, you'd rather there be talk and innovation and growth than decay and lack of utilization and stodginess. I, I think that the growth lifts all boats. And so you want to be the captain right there at the front and riding that wave and directing that ship, which I think you've been setting a really helpful path for people to think about. And most people I've spoken to have sat very firmly in the radiology silos, which is super interesting to think about. Here's what it take to take that radiology experience and then go sit one level higher at the hospital level and start to think about these population health outcomes. Well, how can we improve treatment in these areas where radiology, one of the things people complain about 
is, oh, well, you know, they order too much imaging and it's not right. And so how do we provide better care up front? And so well, maybe POCUS is an area where you can put people on a better treatment path more quickly. I don't know the particulars of, of any one therapeutic area where you can do that, but I think having that view and getting in that game is really, is really important and hard for most radiologists in the world to do when they're sitting in a more isolated, narrow scope of practice. Absolutely. And when you look at hospitals, I, I love this example of one of our patients who was pregnant was at one of our partner hospitals and all of a sudden she became short of breath and the nurse called out into the hallway and one of our chief of cardiology who spearheaded our point of care ultrasound program with me happened to be like walking by with his POCUS device, runs in, put his ultrasound on her chest, you know, saw acute right-sided heart failure and she had basically a massive pulmonary embolus called down to our interventional radiologist. She got rushed down. They extracted the clot. She went on to deliver like a healthy baby. Hmm. The amount of time it might've taken to go down for an echocardiogram, you know, access to, to things in hospitals is not easy to come by because there's a lot of sick patients, right? So I just love that story because I think it's, you know, to provide life-changing care at the point of care is huge. Also that reassurance sometimes, that's how I hear our um, adult and family medicine doctors using it is to really reassure. And they know their limitations, right? Like they, that's important. They need to know, you know, when do I actually need to go send down to, to radiology? But I think that ultimately the point of care ultrasound is the new stethoscope. There's a value for a stethoscope, but I don't know if you gave a cardiologist the choice between a POCUS and a stethoscope, I think they would choose a POCUS device. Powerful story. It's clear that you focus a lot on individual personal growth and also as a leader through sort of the actions that you've taken, the example of encouraging your team to take this AI certification course. One of the things that we really bonded over as we've gotten to know each other is your moniker that you're trying to hire for life. And as someone who is so focused on your own personal growth and development, if you're hiring for life, you're also focused on your team's growth and development and giving them opportunities. So how are some of the ways that you foster that growth mindset within the culture at uh, MapMG? It's so important, right? And when I look at sort of friends across every industry, whether it's healthcare, law, business, there's you know high turnover um, within jobs, especially with remote jobs. I think you can potentially just sort of uh, flip a switch and work for another company as needed. And I think that that's can be a good thing. And I think that the telling sort of markers for me as to why I stay within the job that I have for so long is just around, do I have that opportunity for professional development and growth? And I've had that in spades at Mid-Atlantic and we seek to provide that to our radiologists. I think a great example is when we, um, our radiology leaders implemented modality and it provides our radiologists the opportunity to really explore a new subspecialty. So I'm a neuroradiologist by training and, you know, I've been doing that now for 10 to 12 years, but I also have had this, always this little bit of fear of musculoskeletal MRI. And I consider going into that fellowship when I was at the Brigham, just cause they're, I think really leaders in MSK. Um, and I've always had this admiration for our incredible cadre of MSK imagers at MapMG. They're just amazing. And they're also amazing breast biopsy <laughs> radiologists. Yeah. Also, I think the small sort of small parts, but so I've started to, you know, use modality for musculoskeletal and it's just really engaging, really entertaining, but most importantly, I feel renewed. I feel that sense of like within my clinical career path learning something new is important. We have long careers, right? And so 
I think ultimately it comes down to the people. So you have to, in addition to providing that professional growth, you have to be able to have people who share the same vision, you know, and the values for you. So at MapMG, our values are the patient is at the center of every decision we make. Yes, it's important that we, um, you know, succeed as a company, succeed as a business, but at the end of the day, it's about the patient. And when you have that unifying vision and like, that's what makes me wake up every day, you know, supporting my radiology leadership, um, Dr. Shashi Ranganath and Dr. Will Chang and Dr. Victor Mather, who are amazing, supporting them as they support our radiologists. And then how do we take care of the patients who entrust us, you know, essentially with their lives. So I think that there's no wrong answer and there's no right size fits all. But at the end of the day, I think you have to look for those opportunities. And if you don't have that opportunity, it's probably is time to either ask someone within your company, what can I do to attain that? What can I do to understand the mission? What is your vision? Or sort of look somewhere else at that point. Um, but I think the onus is on the leaders today to make sure that we're providing that avenue for our team members to do that. And, and within a remote culture, that's something I'm sort of really interested in. We have a hybrid work model for our radiologists. So they're at home, you know, we call it kind of remote first at home, but then if they're doing procedures, they're sort of come in for my technology team as well. But we have anchor days in which we're all there innovating and sort of getting that group think and that group cohesion that is really, really important when you have an innovative technology team. So leading in a remote culture, I think radiologists in some ways, like when COVID came, you know, we were all remote before. And so it was sort of like, okay, what's all the excitement about? But also making sure that you feel like connected and our radiologists do a lot of social events and kind of get together, you know, but I think that the love of what we do and the love of your job is something that is unique. I think that you have to have a positive culture. It starts with leadership. I think if we want to play the blame game, leadership is not for you because if you look <laughs> at outcomes of engagement, and if you look at all of the studies show that one of the number one predictors of employee satisfaction is leadership. So yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we have to really lead well. Yeah, one of the first of all, thank you for the high praise of modality. You guys have been early adopters. And I think something you said there really resonates as you talk about burnout, renewing your passion for the job has come a little bit from the modality platform where people say, Oh, like I do this job because I love it and I like to learn. And I, you know, you can burn out after many years of doing the same things. So giving people that opportunity to grow into new areas is really helpful. One of the emerging themes, probably since AUR, this came up at the University Radiologist Conference, was community building and how do you rebuild community in a remote first world? And I don't think we know the answer. And I, mean, I think Kaiser in some ways is better positioned than others because you have a bigger community to tap into, both within a big hospital system, as well as, you know, just more integrated technology systems. Um, but it's a real hard problem if you're a private practice doctor and either you work from home or maybe an imaging center a few days a week, just kind of in a dark room. And um, then it is easy. You kind of lose that loyalty to team and colleagues and, and even patients. And so I think more work is required there as a community of radiology leaders and around how we can foster a community. Um, I struggle with that in my own company. We have a remote workforce as well. And we've got you know employees all over the country. And so how do we continue to maintain that is a, yeah. a pressing question. I think you're exactly right. And we're not unique. In some ways, radiology is more like other remote-based work. Um, we're fortunate in that. <laughs> you know, probably one of the, the reasons that we were the most competitive specialty, right? People are looking at that incredible flexibility 
that it can provide. Not that we're not working really hard, but that's a luxury that our frontline clinical colleagues do not have. Um, and I think sometimes we take for granted. So, you know, and but I, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, providing that professional development too, as you said, is more something that's done in larger groups. And I think that I'll give you another example of our medical group. We celebrate like decades of excellence. So like if you're 10 year, 20 year, 30 year, um, you know, we have an incredible benefit package. We have an incredible pension. Like there's these things about our company that are just different. And we're affiliated with the Permanente Medical Group in Northern California as well. So, you know, I think these are all things that it's just a different kind of concept, but I do get asked, you know, like what makes you stay? And ultimately it comes down to those factors I discussed earlier in addition to like the amazing benefits. But I think at the end of the day, if you're not happy where you are, it doesn't matter what the benefit package looks like, right? So, you know, you have to be at, at a company like that. And I think everyone's happier being able to be at home in some way. I think we were kind of burning out a lot, right? Like I think that we were doing too much, but at the same time, humans were meant to be around other humans. So <laughs> isolation is not good for anyone's psyche as much as we like to kind of tell ourselves it might be. Well, as we're recording this podcast, it was a day after Apple announced their new futuristic goggles for virtual reality. So maybe that will pull us out of our lonely futures and and connect everyone, though I, I'm a skeptic if you can't tell in, in my voice. I know I get motion sick. So all the VR stuff, like I think better and better, but but you know, at the same time, like you have to always look at the benefits. Like Kaiser Permanente, we're a national organization. So I'm constantly collaborating with colleagues within Northern, Southern California, Colorado, Washington, across the whole country. I mean, that wasn't stuff we were doing to the same extent yeah. before. So, so you're going to always have pluses and minuses of everything, but I can tell you what gives me the greatest satisfaction is sitting around a table with my team, doing some sort of outing with them. I do make myself as a leader available as much as I can be um, within the office so that uh, my team can come to me. And I think that that's important, but allowing people to have that flexibility has just been life-changing for our doctors. I just, we just shouldn't take it for granted because I get to interact with a lot of specialists and um, they are very envious of us <laughs> and primary care docs. Final question. What advice do you have for radiologists joining the workforce today? So let's say you're you know just finishing up fellowship and diving in headfirst to this brave new world. I would say, A, you're choosing the best specialty. Um, <laughs> you're making a really, really good decision. You're going to be in for a really exciting career. I think you have your choice right now of where to go in terms of there's a lot of openings in our country. We have a big shortage of radiologists. So choose wisely, but also go easy on yourself. And, you know, like one of my favorite things, Daniel, that I always share is um, one of the radiologists in our group, my first week on the job, I was staying so late, like double checking all my reports. And he said to me, Ainsley, you know, at the end of the day, remember, you have to go home. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? You're exactly right. Next case, on to the next case. You know, I think that at the end of the day, choose a company that really cares about you. I always say, trust your gut instinct. Um, I can tell when I'm talking to a candidate, if it's going to be a match, usually within the first millisecond or two. So, you know, you should have no qualms doing that with a company. And, you know, ask them, what are you investing in me? What opportunities for professional growth? I think with remote opportunities, 
as well, those questions should be asked also. What opportunities do I have for leadership within this organization? Because I think that radiology is leading in that way as well. You don't want to get to the point where you're 10, 15 years into your professional career, and maybe you had been interested in opportunities, whether it's serving on a QA committee in a hospital or a peer learning committee, and you maybe didn't have that chance and you, or you didn't ask about it. So, um, you know, lean in, be really proud of your specialty, and I'm really excited about what the future holds and know that AI is going to definitely make our profession a lot, a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding. We just have to kind of put it to work in the, in the right way. One question I didn't think of beforehand, but I'm curious, you know, you talk a little bit about the screening mammography as a area that has been successful for Kaiser. One of the biggest challenges and opportunities to save lives in radiology right now is lung cancer screening. Do you see advantages within the MAPMG model as it pertains to lung cancer screening utilization? Absolutely. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because lung cancer I see is sort of an allegory to breast cancer screening now. And at the end of the day, we actually screen a significantly higher proportion of our eligible patients than the national average. And we do this the same way, right? We reach out to our patients who are eligible via electronic patient portals and essentially encourage them to come in, but then also make it really easy for them to get the needed follow-ups. Um, again, we prompt our physicians, um, hey, this patient's due for lung cancer screening when it may not have occurred to them so they can capture them when they come in. And therefore, our mortality related to lung cancer is also significantly lower than the national average. And actually, Kaiser Permanente Mid-Atlantic States um, was the first outpatient medical center to be accredited by the Commission on Cancer. And we're really, really proud of all of these pathways. But lung cancer screening is just another great example of our radiologist's ability to really impact patient care on a large population basis. You know, and it takes a lot of coordination. We have multidisciplinary clinics in lung cancer with our pulmonologists, with our thoracic surgeons, with our oncologists, and, you know, and our radiologists and pathologists. And we're sitting around the table and then ensuring that we're really following up um, those patients appropriately. But it does start with having this robust technology as a background to capture more patients. Thanks for sharing about that. This has become one of the passionate areas of mine as I've just learned more about the field and um, had some some great conversations with leaders who are really focused on this problem. And it, and it just struck me that radiologists, again, having a seat within a broader interdisciplinary discussion around, hey, how do we improve these, these screening rates and where are the logical touch points within the EMR, within the various clinic visits could have really good impact. It's great to hear that, that that's bearing fruit. Absolutely. It's a real game changer for our patients. And, um, you know, the opportunity to save lives, like you said, is something we can't um, bypass. That is so cool. Sorry, I just really geeked out about that because it's so important and it's so abysmal everywhere. And it's... Uh... Is it? You know, that's super helpful to hear. I was trying to, as we were talking, I was trying to pull up our data to share that with you. Yeah. Anything you have, please share. Yeah, over 30% of our eligible patients were screened for lung cancer. That's more than five times better than the national average. The other cool thing about KP is when you look across races of our patients, obviously, because we're an integrated system, like we have it across all, because a lot of times, okay, so lung cancer mortality, let me see what this is, population mortality by race per 100K, the nationally among Caucasian or whites, 39.9, we're 15.3. 
for black patients, the nationals 38.8 were 12.6 and Hispanics 15.6 nationally were 4.7 deaths per 100,000. I'm probably going to bug you about that again in the future because I want to I want to learn more about what what else we can do to elevate this issue because um, it's so critically important. Dr. Ainsley McLean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. Um, it was a real honor. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.